Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Luke chapter 2, verse 8-11. to it was just another night of work in the field for the shepherds, with the chill in the air and the soft sound of their flocks. Another night of work, a night like thousands of nights before, even thousands of years before. When the shepherd David was still a boy and stood watching those same fields, life hasn't changed in a very long time. But on this night, everything changed. Joy arrived. Joy is the amazing realization that God has come to our world, into our very lives, he was taken back what belongs to him. Every day we can remind ourselves of this truth and experience this joy again and again. This great joy God came into the world. It's great because it's everywhere. The joy that will be for all people is here. Now let us celebrate in this incredible truth. Thank you. That was amazing. Jingle bells ring, and sometimes the pastor's mic rings. We'll just all pretend that's not happening. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. I I think when Isaac Watts sat to pen that carol, I don't think he knew we were going to be singing this year after year after year. I, I think he was sitting down to write an expression of worship, something out of his heart that stated two facts that are critical to our Christian faith. The first is that God has come to earth where he remains by his Holy Spirit. Joy to the world. The Lord is come, present tense. The second is that his arrival ushered in an opportunity for his people to experience a measure of joy that had not been previously possible. These two truths, one, that Jesus is present, and two, that joy is now possible, are inseparable. There there is no joy without Jesus, and where Jesus is, joy must, must follow. This is what we get to talk about this morning. The word joy is found over 200 times in the Bible and rejoice 200 more. It is a constant, a consistent theme from start to finish. And one day another man sat down to write something. His name was Isaiah. And he spoke of a a moment that Jesus would come and bring this joy with him. And this is what he said, of the Lord and of you and me. Isaiah 51, he says, the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing flee away. Looking forward to a moment where something was going to happen to the people of God that would change the way we relate to the world around us. He he says we would wear joy like a crown. It would be a sign of our belonging to the family of God and sorrow despair, says, would run away. Man's making a bold promise. And then one night, 
centuries in the future, the heavens opened and an angelic being stepped forward to declare to a a frightened group of shepherds that, that God was keeping his promise. Emily just read that to us. Luke 2, 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their fields, their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. His name is Christ the Lord. If you want to make an important statement, you think about who you're going to send to deliver the message. 27 years earlier, the the empire of Rome had been in disarray, and, and Caesar Augustus stepped forward and seized power. And he was declared not only the emperor of the world, but the savior of the world. And he wanted to declare to the entire Roman Empire that that a new season had begun. And so he would send to every town in the Roman Empire soldiers and a herald who would stand in the market square and declare, Caesar Augustus has come, the savior of the world, to bring Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And because they came with pomp and circumstance and the power of Rome, people listened. God can one-up anybody. And so he says, I got your Caesar Augustus right here. Heaven tears open an angel steps forth and says, I bring you good news. And that news of great joy, the phrase good news comes from the Greek word euangelizo, which is also translated gospel. So the angel steps forward to declare a gospel of great joy that has its beginning in the arrival of the Savior. Guys, this is a really big deal. The angel's announcement, Isaiah prophesied it. Angels announced it. Jesus shows up to bring it. So you and I, we should probably probably try to understand it. So because I wanted to understand what it meant that joy has arrived, I looked it up in the New Bible Dictionary. What does joy mean? I'm going to share the definition with you. Joy is consistently the mark both individually of the believer and corporately of the church. It is a quality, not simply an emotion, grounded in God himself and indeed derived from him, which characterizes the Christian's life on earth and also anticipates eschatologically the joy of being with Christ forever in the kingdom of heaven. Well, doesn't that explain everything? Don't you love it when you have to look up the definition of a word in the definition of a word? Thank you, New Bible Dictionary. Not very helpful. So I dug into it a little bit, and I'm going to tell you what that means. First, this definition says that joy is not an emotion. Joy is so much bigger than that. Happiness is an emotion. But happiness has to do with happenings. What's going on, it's a byproduct of our environment. What's happening, what you're experiencing. And so it comes and it goes as seasons change and we experience different things. Happiness, happiness is what you feel on Christmas morning when you get what was on your wish list instead of underwear unless underwear was what you put on your wish list, and that's a different conversation. The angels did not step out of heaven to have a conversation with the shepherds about their feelings. They didn't step forward to declare the gospel of warm fuzzies. They announced the gospel of joy. 
The second thing this definition teaches us is joy originates in God himself. That's why the announcement of joy was tied to the arrival of, excuse me, the announcement of the arrival of Jesus. We bring good news of great joy today in the city of David. Savior has been born to you, Christ the Lord. They are connected. You can't separate the concept of joy from the person of Jesus. Hear me. You can't separate the concept of joy from the person of Jesus. And if you're not feeling joyful, I just got to warn you this morning, I'm going to preach somebody joyful. So you might as well get your amens ready now. Because if I don't see a deposit of joy in the people of God this morning, I'm just going to work harder. Not because I think I can talk you into it, because as Pastor Bernie prayed, I am convinced that Jesus is bringing it. See, the third thing that that definition teaches us is that joy is both a present reality and a future hope. Joy acknowledges that that God has done something significant, that he is presently doing something significant, and he has yet more significant things to do in the future. It comes from an understanding, from a worldview that acknowledges that what Jesus did on the cross in the past has opened the doorway for me to come into the presence of God the Father free of guilt and free from shame, no longer alone but part of his family. But it also recognizes that Jesus remains with us through the Holy Spirit, that that we have a constant companion to, to encourage, to protect, to coach, to comfort. Each and every moment of each and every day. I'm not alone. I'm not not abandoned to the ebbs and flows of circumstances, life's changes, but I'm, I'm, I'm rooted in the very person of Christ himself. There it is. And finally, joy looks forward in anticipation to the moment Jesus arrives again, the second advent to restore all things. A man named Dallas Willard, he's a theologian and a Christian philosopher. He, he has a definition of, of joy that it's a little easier for me to get my head around. Dallas Willard says, joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. It's infused with hope because of the goodness of God. He would tell us, joy says, God is good, so you're going to be okay. And joy says, God is good, so your trust in him is well-placed. God is good. There's more to the story going on than what you see in front of you right now. Joy says God is good, so there's hope for tomorrow. The Apostle Paul, the man was an expert on joy, so much so that he does what today's experts do. He he wrote a book about it. It's called the book of Philippians. And when you read the book of Philippians, you find him talking to the church about joy and saying that word 17 different times. And when you get to chapter 4, this is what he tells them. It's written in the imperative. It's a command. And he says, always be full of the joy in the Lord. Excuse me, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Always. Always be full of joy. That's a bold command, no matter what's going on around you. Now, if we confuse joy and happiness, Paul sounds crazy. But Paul understands that joy and happiness are quite different. And what makes this this book of Philippians so interesting as as an expose on joy is Paul is writing it from Rome where he is under house arrest. After a lifetime of incredible ministry and significant challenge and pain, He sits to write these closing thoughts. 
Here's a little bit of Paul's background, how he got to writing this letter. He'd gone to Jerusalem. He wanted to worship in the temple. And when the, the, the temple leaders saw him, the Jewish leaders saw him, they thought he had brought Gentiles in and profaned the temple. So they start a riot. And because Jerusalem is under Roman occupation, when there's a riot, the, the Romans come to put down the riot. And so they arrest Paul. And they decide they're going to send him to the governor so the governor can figure out what's going on because it makes no sense to this poor, this poor soldier. And while, while Paul is on his way there, there's a plot to kill him. The plot's foiled because God's good. He, he shows up in front of the governor. They can't find anything wrong, but they, they keep him locked up, hoping that he's going to bribe them so, to set him free. For two years, he's falsely imprisoned. There's a regime change. A new governor comes, and, and so Paul is pulled before him. Again, the guy's like, I don't know. So he, he passes the buck down the road to another guy who's like, I'm not dealing with this. Send him back to Felix. That was his name. Not a joke. And in the middle of the last discourse, Paul goes, I appeal to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. He could, go to, he could take his case all the way to Caesar. The governor looks at him and says, Paul, I can't find that you've done anything wrong. I would have let you go. But now because you've appealed to Caesar, you have to go to Caesar. In other words, you should have kept your big mouth shut. So Paul goes to Rome to, to see Caesar. That's where he's writing this letter. And by the time he comes to talk to this church about joy, the man has been through it. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's, he's been beaten with rods. He's been flogged. He's been imprisoned. He's been stripped, publicly humiliated, shipwrecked, slandered, snake bit. And now he's under house arrest waiting to see if he's going to be executed or set free. And he tells the Philippian church that they should always be full of the joy of the Lord. Joy is clearly not circumstantial, and Paul is clearly not writing about happiness. If Paul was happy about what was going on, we would be encouraging him to seek help, not trying to learn from his teaching. But he knew something that you and I might lose sight of in the day-to-day. -day. He understood that he is not subject to his circumstances. His circumstances are subject to his God. He believed, he understood that God was doing something that other people may not see. And because he knew what God was good and, and he took hope in that, he experienced the joy of the Lord. He says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. He goes, guys, yeah, I'm locked up, but here's what's happening while I'm locked up. God is working, and I am speaking his truth to everyone here, and other people are hearing the story, and they're doing the same thing. I, I get this picture of Paul, sorry, probably sounds a little sacrilegious, sitting down at a poker table, looking at his cards, understanding that he has the winning hand and nobody else has figured it out yet. Paul realizes that God in his goodness has said that he's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul would say, to the outsider, it might look like all of these things have been done to me. But I understand that there is something that God is doing through me. Because God will never waste a challenge. God will never waste our pain. 
James says that in his goodness, God uses what would tear me down to actually build me up. So Paul is like, this is awesome. I want to make sure all of the Philippians realize what's going on, that God is in control, and so I can find joy even in my imprisonment. Perhaps Paul, I mean, I can, I can see him in this, in this room kind of writing to the Philippians, chuckling that, that what has been meant to silence him, God has actually turned in to a megaphone. I'm winning, and you guys don't even know. Years ago, years ago, when, when the World Series of Poker just really got big, and everybody and their mother was playing Texas Hold'em, I decided I wanted to figure out how this game worked. So I went and sat and played cards with some friends of mine from church, and Texas Hold'em is a really easy game. You get, I'm not telling you to go play it, I'm just explaining it to you. I don't want an email. You get two cards, they're called your whole cards. Nobody sees them but you. And then there's a round of betting where you're saying, yeah, I think my cards are better than anybody else's. And then you come to the flop. They turn three cards face up, those are communal cards. There's another round of betting. Then you get to the river, sorry, the turn. That's another card, another round of betting. And then the, the fifth card that goes down face up is called the river. And then you make the best five-card hand you can from your two whole cards and any of the five up cards. And then, you know, the best, best hand wins and takes the pot. So I'm, I'm sitting here trying to learn this game, and, and we're playing for, you know, nickels and dimes just, just for laughs. And, and uh, they deal out the, the whole cards. I've got two tens. This is a good starting hand. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm telling myself, don't show it on your face, right? Just, mm, so I'm like, okay, there's a round of betting. And I'm just kind of playing it cool. I'm not pushing the pot. I'm just, yeah, okay. We get to the flop. Another 10. That's called a set. Now, three, three of a kind in poker, that's a poker hand. You get to the, the turn, a fourth 10 comes up. I am inside out of my mind. I've got four tens. We get to the last, to, to, to bet that. Now understand, there's one card left to come. We bet that round. I jump up, four tens. I win. And they look at me and go, the hand's not over. <laughs> Check. I knew the outcome. And I couldn't contain myself. Just couldn't do it. I see Paul the same way. I'm in jail and God is using this to bring people to Christ. It looks bad to you, but I got four tens, baby. I'm holding the winning hand because the game is already over. You haven't got a shot. That is joy. Joy is founded on realities that are unaffected by the conditions of this world. That's why joy's arrival was announced from heaven. It's bigger than what you see. Joy comes from living in the plans and the person and the presence of Jesus. David said, you have made known to me the path of life. You, you fill me with joy in your presence. He goes on to say that the precepts of the Lord are right, giving, giving joy to the heart. Another way of saying this is we find joy in Jesus. Not simply in what he has done, but in who he is. All right. Joy is found in Jesus. The, the angel said I can experience joy, but, but I'm not. What, what can I do? It's a great question, and I want to thank you for asking that. Listen to what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this, so you will be filled with my joy. Yeah, your joy is going to overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. Jesus points out a couple of really important things for people who want to live in his joy. Joy isn't a standalone experience. It's, it's rooted in love, and it's, it's tied to obedience. But in this verse, Jesus commands that you and I love other people the way God has loved us. And he says, if you obey my command to love other people, you'll remain in my love. And he says, if you remain in my love, you'll be filled with joy. So if you and I love other people the way Jesus has loved us, we're going to remain rooted in his love and filled with his joy. What we know from earlier studies is that love that we show others, that God shows us, is agape. It's, it has to do with serving another person for their sake, not rather, not for our own. And it's about as contrary to the world's way of thinking as it could be. But the world is pursuing happiness, and we're looking for joy. So joy is a byproduct of serving God and serving other people, which means I can't experience joy in isolation because it's connected to my kingdom purpose to love other people on behalf of Christ. If it's experienced as I love you the way Jesus loves me, I can't do it on my own. Nor, Nor are we meant to experience joy, find joy in acquisition because Joy is not a reflection of our own well-being. Joy is a reflection in my investment in your well-being. You hear that? You don't go and get joy by trying to be happy. Jesus says that my joy comes from making an investment in your joy. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, my family and I, can I tell you one more story? Okay. I'm going to anyway, so thank you for the permission. That's, that's very kind. Because I'm thinking about how intentional I need to be in living this out. So I, the Lord reminded me of this story. So a few years ago, we, we went on a, an Alaska cruise, right? Alaska was on my bucket list, one of the places I was desperate to go. And so the entire extended family got on this cruise, and we start bouncing up the coast of Alaska. And I had a friend at the gym I played racquetball with. His name was Glenn. And he used to live in Alaska, and I told him I was going. He says, hey, are you going to dock in Juneau? I said, yeah, we're going to Juneau. He goes, I got a buddy Phil in Juneau. I'm going to give him a call, and, and you know, maybe he'll show you around town. I'm going I'm to tell him to meet you at the dock. I'm like, great. So, so Phil calls me. We make a connection. He meets me at the dock, and he says, hey, let's go get in my seaplane. I'm like, oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah, let's go get in your seaplane. So Tyler and I jump into his plane. This is Tyler before he grew a beard, if you're trying to figure out who that kid is. So Tyler and I get in his, his seaplane, and he taxis out to the runway, which is a large canal, and we take off, and it's, oh, it's amazing. He's flying us around these islands and around the water, and there's planes below us and some planes above us and ships, and, and we're just kind of going up the coast, and then he starts banking inland. I'm like, oh, what are we doing now? And we're following this river, and the topography is amazing, and the, the colors, and it's just, there, there's nothing out there. And, and we get to the end of the river, and it begins to widen up into this beautiful blue lake. And he, he lands on the lake and taxis across and comes up to the sandbar. 
and he, he stops the, the plane on the sandbar at this lake. Now, I am already losing my mind, all right? This is like, oh, gets better. We get out of the plane, walk across the pontoon. I'm standing on the, the bank, the sandbar, and he opens a, a door in the side of his plane, and he he pulls out a 44 Magnum revolver in a worn leather holster and a fly fishing rod. Hands them both to me. I grew up wanting to be a cowboy. I am in man heaven right now. Doesn't even occur to me to ask him why I might need the gun as he's strapping on another one. So I ask him. I think I'm smart. Oh, bear country. He goes, nope. Wolverines. They're nastier than bears. We just went from like man level 10 to 2,000. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. So now I got a, I got a gun on my hip. I'm, I'm looking for a Wolverine and I'm pulling in a rainbow trout out of this crystal clear blue lake. It was so manly. You probably don't know this. Tyler didn't have to grow a beard. It miraculously sprung into being. <laughs> We came back and his mom was like, who are you? We did manly stuff. <laughs> Had to get back to the ship before the ship left, so we, we jumped back in and we start flying back and the wind has shifted. And this was a year where there were a lot of fires up in Alaska, so the smoke is, is coming in and it's getting really hazy. And so I'm starting to wonder, how are we going to find our way back? He's got a, a bank of instruments He's not looking any longer at what's beneath him. He's flying, looking at these instruments, and three in particular. He had a compass, thank you, Jesus. He had an altimeter, thank you, Jesus. And he had an attitude indicator, which every married person wished they had when they walked <laughs> into the house. Um, the attitude indicator just shows you are, where you are in relation to the horizon. Are you going left, are you going right, are you going up, are you going down? As you can see, we made it back. But the Lord was talking to me about that this week because while he's watching his instruments, I'm looking at everything around me trying to make sense of it. Like we came this way and it doesn't look the same. The author of Hebrews says that in pursuit of joy, we're not to try to look at what's going on around us because it's going to get hazy, but to simply look at Jesus. And he said, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him, there's that word. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In the pursuit of joy, the Lord would encourage us by saying, don't, don't give up persevere, run with endurance. James 1 says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you might be made mature and complete, not lacking in anything. In other words, guys, God doesn't waste a moment. We said that a second ago. So we trust in his goodness, even in the challenging times, we don't give up because we know by faith and by experience, God is doing something with 
in us to make us more like him as we press through the challenge. Second, he says, run the race marked out for you. Guys, I have wasted a lot of time running somebody else's race, chasing the wrong finish line, looking at somebody else's life and trying to figure out why am I not experiencing that? And the Lord would say, that's not your race. Don't compare your race to theirs or your circumstances to theirs because joy is not circumstantial. Do whatever the Lord has put in your heart to do. And then he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's your instrument panel. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow his example. The entire instrument panel summed up right there. Look at Jesus. And what was his example? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's break that down. Jesus knew that God was his father. Very clear from the beginning of Luke even earlier than that. And because God was his father, Jesus knew that his future was secure. And in this this moment that the author of Hebrews is talking about, Jesus also understood there was more to the plans of God the Father than the cross that was before him. He understood that through the cross, God's redemptive plan and purposes for you and for me was going to come into effect. Jesus knew that his obedience to God's plan was going to be bringing freedom to the world. And so like Paul, he wasn't happy about what he was experiencing. We see that in the garden. He's begging the Father if there's any other way. But he found joy in the goodness and in the plans and the purposes of God. Even though he wasn't experiencing them in the moment, they were yet to come. He knew that the cross was was part of God's redemptive plan for all of mankind. And because God is good, there was going to be joy to come as Jesus saw that plan put into effect, even when it was being put into effect through his suffering. And if I'm honest, I'd say to the Lord, can we put your your plan in my life into effect through fun? Can, Can we put it into effect through laughter? But there are some times where God meets me in pain because he is shaping me there. And I have to have the confidence that God is not only with me in the good times, but in the hard times, that he is actively working on my behalf. Joy is an awareness of the goodness of God infused with hope. But I don't let those circumstances, that pain, that embarrassment I may experience from time to time, I don't let it define me. Because the author goes on to say that that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus didn't allow that experience to define him as he was publicly crucified as an insurrectionist, as a criminal. That's, That's how they viewed him. But Jesus understood that there was more to the story than what the world could see. And because his identity, we're getting to the meat and bones of it here and we're almost done, so listen to me. Because his identity was firmly rooted in his relationship to God the Father, not the accusations leveled against him, it didn't matter what anyone else would say. He didn't care. He didn't allow it to define him. Guys, We can lose our job, and that becomes the definition of who we are. 
We hit, we hit hard times financially. Relationships fracture. And we begin to identify with that, that pain as this is the kind of father I am. This is the kind of worker I am. This is the kind of provider I am. Those things don't define us. They are what Paul would call light and momentary troubles. And if you feel like your job loss is not a light and momentary trouble, I'm not making light of what's happening to you. I'm just remembering what happened to Paul and what he called it in light of what God the Father was doing. Jesus was firmly rooted in his relationship with the Father. He could look back to Luke chapter 4 as he came up out of the water and heard God say, this is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. And it was that moment of identification that propelled Jesus into his ministry. When we understand that we already have both the love and the affirmation of God the Father, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Remember, church, when Jesus heard God the Father say those things about him, he hadn't done anything yet. Hadn't healed the sick, raised the dead. This was not, this was not the Father giving Jesus a grade on his ministry. This was God expressing his love and affirmation for his child. That's where joy comes from. And that's what God the Father would say to you this morning. You are my daughter. You are my son with whom I am pleased. And then the best part of the story, he endured the cross, he despised his shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All of this is the example that we're meant to set our eyes upon. Not just the miracles, not just the cross, not even just the empty grave, but the fact that it led him to the side of God the Father. There was a moment, never before seen in human history, where the Son of God went to the cross. And the devil thought he'd won. Maybe you're in a place this morning where it feels like something in your, your life has gone to the cross and it's been dead and buried and it's in the grave. But you need to understand that when Jesus went into the grave, God hit start on a timer and it was ticking down. And the disciples are experiencing pain and sorrow and fear. And in the heavens, all you hear is Because God was not done. And whatever you may be facing this morning, hear me say to you, God is not done. The Father was not leading Jesus to the cross. He was leading him through the cross to an empowering moment of restoration and resurrection. And whatever you feel like you're walking through, you're walking beyond. God is not leading you to a place to leave you there. He is leading you through it. And there comes a moment where you understand all that he has done, the authority he has given you as a child of the Most High God, and you begin to relate to the world around you from the same position of authority that Jesus did as he sat next to God the Father. Because Christ is in you, which means all of his power is available to you. The authority that he walks in, you get to walk in. This is why circumstances don't dictate our joy. Our joy is dictated by our identification as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. This is not over, church, and God is not done. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? 
scripture says, weeping may endure for the night. It's true. But joy comes in the morning. Without fail. So if you're experiencing sorrow, pain, heartache, confusion, just hear heaven going tick, 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 tick. It's not the end of the story. What the angels declared to the shepherds outside the walls of Jerusalem, this is it. A gospel of joy. The good news of joy has arrived because God has come near in the person of Jesus. A savior has been born to you. Personalize that. Don't don't read the story of the angels talking to the shepherds. Hear the spirit of God speaking to you. A savior has been born to you. And his name is Christ the Lord. And there has been, because of that, a fundamental shift in the cosmos. And from this moment on, you can live with the confident assurance that God is working on your behalf. And where God is present and working, all things are possible. And so we rejoice. That may be what you need to do this morning. You may need to rejoice. You may just simply need to say to the Lord, I remember. That's why this was written. I remember. And because I remember, God, bring your joy to bear in me again. And if you're experiencing a joy deficit this Christmas, I want to give you one simple point of application. And I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to go do what Jesus has empowered us to do. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to follow his example. And this is what he said in John. If we love each other, The way Jesus loves us will remain in his love, will experience his joy. So, we don't wait for joy to come to us. We bring joy to someone else. I want to encourage you to find someone this week to love the way Jesus has loved you. And so we don't get up, go out, drink coffee, and forget about it. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for just a moment. Be still with me. That's uncomfortable for you. There's nothing super magical about it. It just helps us not get distracted. You can keep your eyes open if you need to. Ask Jesus for a name. Because there is someone in your life that needs joy, and Jesus wants you to take it to him. And his goodness says that you will receive joy in the doing. Then ask the Lord... What would you have me do? God's super intentional. He can give us a person and he can give us a plan. Lord, give us a person. Give us a plan. Now, look at me. This is important. Do what he says. Do what he says. Find a way to love that person the way the Lord is making clear to you. And joy will be your reward. Will you stand with me? God, as Pastor Bernie said just moments ago, you're so good. 
You bring all of these things, peace, hope, love, joy with you, and you are here. So they are present and available. Lord, we we live in in a broken world that you're in the process of healing. So for any within the sound of my voice today that are experiencing the pain of the brokenness around them, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to bring healing because the Lord is come. Lord, we we hear your commission and your invitation to experience joy as we posture ourselves as joy bringers to the world around us. So Lord, keep this in the forefront of our minds and give us the courage to do what you've invited us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.